Welcome to the 2009 Jack Straw Writers Program. In this program, you'll hear clips from an interview with writer Lana Hechtman Ayers and program curator Donna Miskolta. I think for me it's important that a poem speaks to another person's heart, speaks to another person's spiritual sense or speaks to their soul in a way. And, and it makes a difference in that you know that there's another person out there that you can connect with. Even if you're not sitting in the same room or on the same continent, there's this language that bridges the gap and brings you together. How did the idea for this series of poems about Red Riding Hood come to you? Well, I think what happened was, late in 2006, a Red Riding Hood poem just showed up in my notebook. I have a notebook, and it's sort of my inspiration notebook, I guess you'd say. It's something I carry around, and if words kind of start happening in my head, I'll write in it. And then I look at it sort of months later. So probably sometime in 2007, I I came across that poem, and I hadn't remembered writing it, which is often the case. (laughs) And I I decided that, oh, that's that's really interesting. Let me type that up. And I think it was the one uh, with Red Riding Hood and the wolf discuss Rothko. And it just sort of triggered something that kept happening after that. Red Riding Hood kept showing up. I've never really been a fiction writer, but I understand this happens to fiction writers, that characters sort of show up in their lives and they demand to be heard. Now you'll hear selections from Lana's live reading at Jack Straw Productions. Tonight I'm going to read you work from a full-length collection of poems called A New Red... This collection tells the real-life story of Red Riding Hood. And I know this because she kind of abducted my writing for a few years, and I was forced to do nothing else but put down this story. It turns out that Red Riding Hood was a good girl and stayed on the path. She didn't meet the wolf when she was little. So you'll meet her now, all grown up and married, to a man named Hunter, who happens to be a lumberjack. This first poem is in the voice of Red Riding Hood, and it's called Red Riding Hood's Real First Encounter with the Wolf. It begins with an epigraph. We meet no stranger but ourself. Emily Dickinson. After Grandma was diagnosed as terminal, we sought a second opinion from doctors in the city. When I took her for some tests, I had a few empty hours of waiting, a rare thing with my job at the daycare and catering to my husband's many whims. Right across the street stood an art museum, a structure of steel and glass, to me more fearsome than any folklore beast. Yet I felt compelled to go in because it was the last place anyone would look for me. As fate would have it, The admittance fee was more than I could pay, but it was two for one day, and the gentleman ahead of me was alone, offered. Fine, sir, I said, how very kind of you. And then he turned, the wolf, a dark stranger with eyes like tunnels. By stranger, I mean like no one I'd ever seen. His composure was keen. He had a fierce elegance. Not at all, fair one, he said, and walked away as if walking were something done with wind and sky, not bones and gravity. 
and I didn't know why, but I felt something within me unchain. I went his way. The room was high-ceilinged everywhere. Thick color forested the walls. Suddenly, I felt unwell, almost fell upon a bench and sat. Before me, a woman danced. The placard read, Salome of the Seven Veils. I knew the painting was not moving, but the paint whirled about her, dizzy, whirled around me, and her arms were serpents drawing me in, her hips thunderclap, cloudburst, a soaking rain I had not the sense to get out of. Like looking into a mirror, Gentleman Wolf said, and when he did, at once the rain stopped. All seven veils dropped. This next one is what the wolf whispered to Red during their first encounter. Your eyes are like autumn after all the leaves have come down. This next poem is in the wolf's voice. It's called the wolf reflects on his first meeting with Red Riding Hood, and it begins with an epigraph. It was red, as red as the Swiss flag. Yes, it was red, as red as chicken blood. Anne Sexton. She wore that red cape like a bandage, like bloody bondage. Who wouldn't want to save her from the boredom of happily ever after, which never really was, or else the Brothers Grimm wouldn't have stopped there, would they? Rad was off the path picking flowers, so to speak, witnessing art up close for the first time. And what painting should set her to fainting than the one she most resembled, Salome? Had Red's mother cunningly showcased this daughter's wares for her own gain? I could only guess. Yes, she had. For Red's eyes were fair sorrows, untried amber. I smelled trepidation, so I vowed I'd make a feast of her salvation. <laughs> this one is... Red Riding Hood meets the wolf a second time, and it has an epigraph. And I'd like to be a bad woman, too, and wear the brave stocking of black knight lace. Gwendolyn Brooks. It was not at my grandma's place, as those brothers like to say, but at a poker game. I came to meet the wolf for a second time. Not dark woods, but a crime-free suburb. I didn't care to go there, but Hunter insisted, said other wives would be there too. He had me bake a special rhubarb pie laced with red-labeled gin, just to be sure I'd make a good impression. I was astounded when the wolf came in, had no idea he and Hunter were acquainted. Wolf introduced himself with tact, gave nothing away. Then we all sat down to play. The opening bid was Jack's or better. Wolf looked very serious, rolled up his sleeves to reveal silken-furred forearms, manly phallics. Though I was distracted, I played to win. 
Nothing more was exchanged that evening between us than pleasantries, some pocket change. Nothing more until I rushed to the door as he was leaving, slipped him a note. On the back of a deuce, I wrote Grandma's address and the time I'd be there the next day. I don't know what I was thinking, or if I was, and I'd like to tell you it wasn't lust that had me in its clutches, but it wouldn't be the truth. And the last poem I'm going to read is called The Moment Red New, and it has an epigraph. Always the beautiful answer, who asks a more beautiful question? E.E. E. Cummings. If you had asked me that first morning if I was happy, I would have said, yes, sure, of course, why not? Hunter and I have a quaint place. No luck getting pregnant, but I get my fill of kids at the daycare, don't I? What did I know? I, who had never neared life's flame, I'd never known my mind to wander past wondering about what to cook for supper. I had no idea there exists an entire menu of desire. Some would blame biology, pheromones, chemistry. Yes, the wolf's scent drove me wild, but it went way beyond. I found a poetry alive in my own hands. I could press my fingers to his breastbone and make a song the rest of him would harmonize. My body was lyric and lyre. I loved the fire. I learned a not-so-simple truth. Skin is more than skin, and sin has wings the angels themselves must envy. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2009 curator of this program is Donna Miskolta. Music performed by the Tom Varner Tentet and recorded as part of the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure, Tom Stiles, and C.J. Lazenby. Narrator is Amy Brimhall, and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rubinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.